to the podcast from the Sunday night service at New Life Church. The Sunday night service reflects a desire to be rooted in the historic expressions of faith while engaging God with our whole being in the world today. For more information on New Life Church, you can visit our website at newlifechurch.org. All right, you still doing well? Okay. Um, out of curiosity, how many of you, this is your first time kind of doing anything with historic worship liturgy in it? Okay. How many of you just, you just haven't done it in a long time, like those historic, you know, bits and pieces in the, you know, sit, sit up, sit down, stand up, whatever, you know, fight, fight, fight. <laughs> I know, it's a bit of a stretch, but that's okay. Hey, uh, this has been a journey for my wife and I and our whole family as we've uh, experienced kind of the richness in rediscovering some of this historic uh, worship expressions and uh, the, what it's done to ground our faith. And uh, this year, we decided for the first time ever to see if we, what, would it would, what it would be like if we would observe Lent. Um, so we thought, well, let's give up something for Lent. And what I'm about to tell you could incriminate me because my choice of what I gave up will tell you a lot about me. I chose to give up Facebook and Twitter and blogging, and my wife chose to give up soda of any kind. And, and to be perfectly honest, it was very hard. And I know that's a lame thing to say, especially for a lot of you who are not on social media, you think, what's the big deal, Glenn, what's the matter with you, you know? But it was hard. Uh, and, and, and it, but the, here, was, here was kind of my experience in this. I discovered in kind of you know, studying this a little bit, that you're supposed to, every Sunday during the season of Lent, and so it begins mid-February, and then it ends, obviously, on Easter, but every Sunday leading up to Easter is kind of a break from whatever you're giving up. So if you're giving up chocolate, every Sunday in Lent, you can have all the chocolate you want. Well, for me, every Sunday during Lent, I could Twitter and be on Facebook as much as I want, and so I was, like, updating my status every five minutes, you know, like... Just because I could. And, and, and then today, of course, it all ends. And the reason that it's, it's set up that way is it's supposed to sort of be a mini Easter. It's supposed to be a thing that makes you look forward to Easter. The amazing thing is it really did. Now, again, of course I look forward to Easter because of what it means and because of Jesus and his resurrection. But I also found that in a very small, practical, tangible way... I myself was like, oh, I just can't wait. Last night my wife said, I can't wait till I can just drink pop whenever I want. And not that she drinks a lot of pop, it's just the fact that you can, you know. And as I was thinking about it, it made me think about how Easter for so many of us is a time when we look back. And it's the moment where we look back at the cross and we say, oh, Jesus, thank you for what you did 2,000 years ago. And we look back at it. But you know... Most of the early sermons of these apostles, when they stood up to preach, they were primarily talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And yes, of course, they talked about the cross, they talked about Jesus dying for our sins and all of this stuff. But when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, it says that he proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus. When Peter and John were outside the temple and they began to preach to the crowd that had gathered after they had healed the man, they say, it says they began to proclaim how Jesus had risen from the dead. Later, when Paul is standing before the Sanhedrin, these Jewish uh, thinkers and rulers, he stands up and talks to them about the resurrection. 
And it's maybe interesting for us because we think about Christianity and we've got crosses on our building. You know, and, and obviously the cross, we know what the cross means. It means that Jesus paid for our sins. But is there something that maybe we're not, we're forgetting to mention? Are we zoomed in so much like this that we've missed out on something that these guys in the first century were very, very aware of? Why is it that all of their preaching was focused on the fact that Jesus had risen and the resurrection was the core of their message? Acts 4 verse 33, with great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them. Is Easter only something we look back to with gratitude or is it also something that makes us look ahead? Tonight I want to talk briefly for about the next 10 minutes or so about why it is I think that Easter is, yes, an occasion where we look back and we say thank you Jesus for the cross, but is also a reason to look ahead. What does the resurrection of Jesus mean for the whole world, the whole cosmos? 1 Corinthians 15 verse 12 through 19 says this. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? What Paul is saying is, how come some of you, how come some of you as Christians, how can you say that there's no life after life? How can you say that we, there is no resurrection of the dead for us and for our own bodies? If we believe that Jesus has, then surely it means the same for us. And he goes on and he says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. Paul's saying, look, if this isn't true, then we're all liars because we've just spent our lives saying, testifying that Jesus rose from the dead. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. I love that phrase, if only for this life. It's a clue that Paul's saying there's something else, there's something beyond this. I want to make this statement and then we'll unpack it a little bit. The resurrection means that the defeat of evil or that evil's defeat has already begun. When, Jesus, when God made the world and he said, okay, this is good, creation is good, everything's right, and the rebellion began and they said, no, we're going to live without you. The call for Adam and Eve was to be image bearers, which is another way of saying they were meant to reflect back to God his glory. When he tells Adam and Eve, go ahead, multiply, fill the earth, he's saying, fill the earth with others who reflect me. That vision that Isaiah says the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God, that was the original plan. That by having people that reflect back to God his glory, the earth itself would be full of his glory. But when they made the choice to say, no, we're living independently of you, no, we're going to do this our own way, it, they began to self-destruct. All the world began to fall apart. Look, we see all around us all the evidence of that. For everything from relationships that break down, we see it even in the earth that breaks, that's breaking down. 
We look outside and on one hand you say, well, isn't that beautiful, isn't that gorgeous? But on the other hand, you can think of earthquakes and tsunamis and hurricanes and things that happen, signs that all is not quite right, even with creation. But God's plan from the very beginning was to rescue all of it. And when he called Abraham, he called this one family and he said, okay, I'm choosing you, I'm blessing you. And he does this. If you were to look in Genesis, there's only a few people that God directly blesses. It's Adam, it's Noah after the flood, and then it's Abraham, the family that he's going to use, the family line that he's going to use to rescue the whole world. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then from then on, they're the ones doing the blessing. The point was God was going to use this family line to to restore, to rescue the whole earth. But we know that that didn't quite work. And God knew that it wasn't. In fact, all along, his plan was that one member of that line, Jesus, fully God, fully man, would come and perfectly fulfill that. What that means is when Jesus came and suffered on the cross, he took upon himself more than just a Roman beating. He took upon himself the full weight of the destructiveness of all evil. But in doing so, because he rose again, it was a sign that he had destroyed it. It was a sign, that phrase that we just had earlier up on the screen, the resurrection of Jesus means that evil's defeat has begun. Colossians 2, 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. It began, he began to say, he put them on notice. He said, look out, the full weight of the destructiveness of evil is on me and I'm disarming it and triumphing over it. But it also tells us that there's more to come. 1 Corinthians 15, that same chapter that we began reading and we'll pick it up in verse 20. But if Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, meaning he's the first of many. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn. Christ, the first fruits, and then when he comes, comes again, those who belong to him. And then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God, to, the kingdom to God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Now, what the resurrection of Jesus says to us is that evil's defeat has begun. They've been put on notice. And one day the king who was victorious on the cross will come back and reign until all dominion and all authority, all else has been destroyed. I don't know if you think of it this way, but it might be helpful to realize that it will not always be this way. Some of, sometimes people come to us with the questions, well, what, what about pain and what about evil and what about suffering and why, is God, why hasn't God done something about it? And I think when we forget this part of what the resurrection means, we don't really have an answer for them. We kind of say, well, um, I don't know. I mean, God cares. He cares. Um, and, and, and maybe, you know, uh, someday you'll fly away to glory and it'll all be okay. But Paul's picture to the Corinthians is quite different. He's saying, look, 
He's already disarmed the authorities, and when he comes again, he's going to reign until it's all set right. In other words, when somebody says, what has God done about the evil and the injustice in our world? We can say, you know what he's done? He took it all upon himself on the cross, and then he took the full weight of it, and then he rose again. And so when he comes back, it is all going to be over. His triumph is com- will be complete. We don't have a God that stayed distant and then said, hey, look, I'm just going to save your soul, but I'm not really concerned about evil and how it's destroying the world. We don't have a God that's, that's just interested in sort of forgiving your sins, but doesn't care about orphans that are being abused or children sold into sex trafficking. We have a God that took the full weight of evil upon himself and rose again so that when he comes back, he comes back as the world's true king and says, enough. No more injustice. No more any of this. Evil has been put on notice. But the resurrection of Jesus, thank you, also means that new creation has begun. It also means that new creation has begun. I love this in Romans 8. In Romans 8, verse 18, it says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. He's talking about that day when you and I get resurrected bodies because when we get resurrected bodies, it's a sign that all of creation is going to be remade as well. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. In other words, Paul's saying, look, the thing that we're hoping for is not quite here yet. Who hopes for what he already has? No one. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. The resurrection of Jesus means that new creation has begun. Paul says, look, when you surrender to this King Jesus, when you surrender to this Lord Jesus, you, start, you become new already. You become new on the inside. And that's powerful. But that passage in Romans 8 says, that's only the beginning. That you being made new in Christ is only the beginning. What do you mean it's only the beginning? It means that God plans to make it all new creation. That means that even right now, if we could think poetically Pike's Peak is groaning for the return of Jesus. All of creation is longing for the day when it will be released from these shackles and remade. There's power in understanding that. Because what that means is there will be a day when mountains are only glorious and never dangerous, when oceans are only full of life and never devastating or scary or intimidating. There will be a day when everything is set right. The psalmist anticipated this and they sang, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Let all of it rejoice, the whole earth. Creation is waiting for the world, for the king to return and set 
the world right. In many ways, the way to think about it is Easter for us reminds us that there is a greater resurrection day coming when we get brand new resurrection bodies, when creation is remade. There will be an Easter for the cosmos. There will be a day when what God has done for Jesus by raising him from the dead, he will do for all things. Can you grasp that tonight? Because if you can, what it means is that today and every Easter you celebrate is no longer just a day where we look back and say, oh, thank you, Jesus, for that. That was wonderful. But it's also a day that says, and thank you for what was begun back then that's coming now. The resurrection, let me say it this way, the resurrection of Jesus makes us look back to the initial triumph over evil and how we have been made alive to God. But the resurrection of Jesus also makes us look ahead to the final destruction of evil and the recreation of all things. It matters that we know that God understands when you protest when things aren't working right with this world. It matters that several weeks ago when we were in shock and tears that an earthquake could devastate so many lives in Haiti, it matters that God said, I know, and I've done something about it, and I'm coming again to set it all right. To set it all right. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied among all men. Friends, the news of the death and resurrection of Jesus is not just so you can feel forgiven and be forgiven. Yes, of course that's it, but it's much larger than that. Let me say it this way. It's as if you've been looking at the Mona Lisa, and what's the most important part of the Mona Lisa? Her smile. But let's say that for your whole life, all you've ever zoomed in on was her smile. And that smile's pretty interesting, pretty, you know, fascinating. But maybe because of Romans 8 and 1 Corinthians 15, you're zooming out, and now you're seeing her whole face, and now you're seeing her arm, you're seeing the rest of the painting, and you're seeing the rest of the story. That's my hope for you tonight. That no longer are we just saying, oh, thank you, God, you know, you, now I can have a personal relationship with you. you think that's true. That's totally true. But do you know that God's rescuing of your life is just one bit of his massive plan to rescue all creation? That God's redemption of you is part of his master plan to rescue the whole earth. But the resurrection of Jesus now makes us look ahead makes us look ahead. It makes us say, thank you that the final destruction of evil is coming. Thank you that you're going to recreate all things. Thank you that the newness inside of my heart is just the first fruits, just the deposit, just the first bits of what's coming. And what's coming is better than what is. I want to put a phrase up on the screen and we can close with this. I know my Redeemer lives. And because he lives, I know what's coming is better than what is. Do you believe that? 
Amen. Amen. Just so it can get inside of us, let's say this together. I know my Redeemer lives. And because he lives, I know what's coming is better than what is. Jesus, thank you that you are alive. Thank you that you conquered death and the grave. We thank you that your resurrection gives us this hope, this hope, this hope that you care so intimately about everything that is wrong with the world and you have acted to begin setting it right. Thank you that your resurrection makes us look ahead to the day that Easter comes for the whole world, the day that we'll all experience newness. Thank you, Jesus, for those who are getting water baptized tonight. For these lives, new creation has begun in them. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.